I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. We'll begin reading in chapter 8. We're going to focus in today on the faith of Abraham. As you recall, and as I mentioned earlier, that the, the people to whom the writer is, is uh, sending this letter, they were really struggling uh, with their faith. They were about to abandon their faith. They were contemplating going back to, to Judaism. And the writer uh, is uh, writing this very urgent letter to encourage them to, to, uh, to live by faith as their forefathers had done particularly Abraham today. We pick up the reading in verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, we were born uh, descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word to us today. I was reading an article this week by Carl Truman, who's a professor at Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. You can find it on firstthings.com. And it's called Lost in Xanadu. And he, and he uh, was commenting actually on another article that was written. But he makes this observation about our culture today. He says, Entertainment is not simply a part of our world. It is arguably the dominant essence of our world. To use philosophical jargon, entertainment is now ontology. We live in Xanadu, within the confines of a stately pleasure dome of our own making. We have an economy that is significantly dependent upon the production and consumption of entertainment, a society where men who play children's playground games are lionized and paid more than the president, and a world where technology is not simply a tool, but one of the structuring principles of our very existence and our ways of life, right down to the most mundane details. How can the church assert the truth of the gospel, an exclusive truth which makes demands in the present because of promises which will be fulfilled only in the future, in a world predicated on consumer options, entertainment, 
and instant gratification. I realize that's a lot in that quote, but let's think about what he's saying here, and I'll, I'll break it down a little bit for you. He's saying entertainment is the dominant essence of our culture, uh, a world predicated on consumer options, entertainment, and instant gratification. Entertainment is not just part of our culture. Entertainment is our culture. The dominant question for even us here today is, what can I do at this very moment to be entertained or gratified? Am I being entertained or gratified at this moment? And if not, what can I do to remedy that situation? We have technology to keep us continuously entertained. Our phones, right here, we've got everything that we need to be constantly entertained. We use them more for watching videos or playing games or being entertained by other people through Facebook or Twitter or any other uh, number of apps. More than we do, we use it for uh, making telephone calls. We have televisions. We have gaming systems in our homes to keep us entertained. We go out to be entertained to the movie theater where there are 20-something options to the ball fields, to the casinos, to the restaurants, even eating, a necessity of life, even that has become entertainment in our culture. Look around us, who are the wealthiest people? It's the people who provide entertainment. First of all, you have at the top of the list the people who provide the technology so that we can be entertained. Microsoft, Apple, etc. And then there's the entertainers themselves, the movie stars, the sports, the, the athletes, and the musicians. Why do we go to work? Well, yes, we want to make money to live, but why do we aspire to make a lot of money so that we can have enough money, not just to live, but to spend our money on entertainment, to get the boat, to get the RV, the fancy car, whatever it is, the, extra, the, uh, the uh, second home. If we look at our own town, Biloxi, our entire economy is based on entertainment. We've got casinos and restaurants, multi-million dollar baseball park, and we've got water slides. Our life here is built around entertainment. Look at our school systems. Teachers have to be part entertainers in order to keep the children's attention because they're so used, so used to having constant entertainment. And look at church. Worship services in many places have become rock concerts and preachers have become stand-up comedians. If someone is bored with their present church, they can just hop over to a different one that is more entertaining. And we see a lot of church hopping going on in our day and time. You see how our lives are driven by entertainment and instant gratification. Our culture says the moment is all that matters and the moments are judged as to whether or not they are entertaining. Why else would someone be involved in extreme sports like parachuting without a parachute? I think people do that. They're living for that moment and the thrill that they can have in that moment. And that's all that matters is the moment. Being entertained in the moment. If I'm entertained for the moment, then I am happy. That's where our culture is. Now, biblical Christianity is antithetical to that. It is incompatible 
with that attitude, and it is actually opposed to this type of living. As Truman said in the article, the gospel is an exclusive truth which makes demands in the present because of promises which will be fulfilled only in the future. The world wants consumer options. We want to be able to choose. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. It is exclusive. The world wants entertainment and instant gratification. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Die to ourselves is the call of the, of the scriptures. Philippians 3 says, Brothers, join in imitating me, and this is Paul writing, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I am often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, their appetites, their desires, what they want. That's their God. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 3. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So your life is not here. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Today in our text, Hebrews, our attention is directed to Abraham, who is held up by the three major world religions as the quintessential man of faith tells us here, refers to Genesis chapter 12, where God appears to Abraham and he says, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. It really is quite amazing. Abraham was with his family in Haran. Uh, he had a secure place, surrounded by his extended family. And when he received the call of God, God said, Depart from here and go to a place that I'll show you later. He went. That's not instant gratification or security. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Abraham was told to go by God from his home and his extended family and all the security that that promised, and he obeyed even though God did not tell him where he was going. He went into an uncertain future with nothing but the promise of God. He did make it, eventually, to the promised land. But the text tells us that even though he lived in the promised land, he lived there as a foreigner, temporary, dwelling in tents, no permanent house. In fact, he never owned any of the promised land. Verse 9, 
By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Not only was he, prom- was, uh, the, he promised land, but he was also promised descendants to become a great nation. And you know the story? He had to wait a long time for that to happen. At least 25 years from the time that he was first called to when Isaac was born. And then when he finally had Isaac... You know, whom he longed for for so long, God said, now I want you to take Isaac and I want you to sacrifice him. Verse 17, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. You see, Abraham's life was not one of instant gratification or consumer options or entertainment. But name a human being whose life is more profound and meaningful than Abraham's. Someone to whom, as I said before, the the three major religions look to as a father of faith. What was his motivation? Verse 10 tells us. He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. See, Abraham knew that all this world had to offer gave him no solid or lasting foundation. Uh, The land that he was promised, the descendants that he was promised, that's not where his foundation was. It was not, and he knew that those things were not lasting foundations. Things that could not, these things could not offer him true security. They could not offer him any kind of meaning, lasting meaning. His family and home in Haran, he was able to leave and go he knew not where. And living in temporary dwellings in the promised land, he could do that because he knew that this was not his permanent home. See, he could have found his significance and joy in life in having a son. It was very significant in those days to have an heir and a name that would be continued. But see, he did not. He was willing, as soon as God said, sacrifice your son Isaac, he packed it up and took him down to Mount Moriah in obedience to that. And he was actually lifting the knife when the angel intervened. These things that he had in his life were not the foundations for his life. When God said... He was going to create a great nation through Isaac, through Abraham, through Isaac. You know, he was willing to sacrifice Isaac because he knew, hey, God has promised to do what God's going to do. I'm going to be obedient. And he thought, you know, surely God will raise him from the dead if I actually sacrifice him. See, he he was not distracted by even the best things in this world the best the world has to offer. Because he was looking forward to something greater. It was that promised city. That was what he looked to because he remembered that city is the one that has the true foundations. That's where true security lay. Jesus said this about Abraham. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Abraham was putting his trust in the Lord and in the promise of God. 
And the greatest promise that God made us was that he would send a redeemer to save his people from their sins. And when Jesus arrived on the scene, when Jesus came to earth, Abraham rejoiced in that day. See, that promised land is the city that Jesus spoke about in John chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled, he told his disciples. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. See, that's the ultimate end. This world is not the ultimate end. This world as it is is not the ultimate end for us. Living for the moment, for the day of pleasure that we can derive from this world is, is no way to live your life with any kind of meaning or significance. You know, we're just stringing together moment by moment of entertainment until we die. And then what? Abraham and Jesus points us to something more significant, something eternal, something lasting, a city that has foundations, something that is, that is true and real and lays at the very purpose of what this world is all about. The nation that was promised, promised to Abraham. The New Testament tells us that's all who put their trust in Jesus. We are part of Abraham's family because we have faith. Galatians chapter 3. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All of us who are people of faith are children of Abraham. And let us imitate that faith by not investing in the things of this world and just looking to this world to be entertained and, and to be comfortable and secure. But like Abraham, trust the Lord in his promises and and. Pursue the path that God has called us to. And this is why he's talking to these people, the audience to whom the writer of the Hebrews, writer of Hebrews is, is addressing. He's saying to them, look, you, you, all, you all in essence want to go back to Haran, like surely Abraham at time to time was tempted to do. To go back to a place you knew that was secure, you had family, there were th you know, good things back there. Abraham never turned back. And he's saying, look at your father Abraham. You want to go back to where you were before. You want to go back to the old ways. Don't do that. Look at your father Abraham. Look at the perspective that he had. Don't go back to your old life and leave Christianity just because it's difficult to follow Jesus. Just because you want instant security that your former life offered you. And we're tempted to do the same thing. Instead of following Christ, instead of taking up our cross daily and following him, we're tempted to just embrace the comforts and the pleasure that the culture gives us. And to live our lives moving from one pleasurable experience to another. See, it is difficult to take up our cross daily. It is difficult to die to ourselves. It is difficult to not be enticed into an entertainment lifestyle, into instant gratification. It's all around us, and we're constantly bombarded with it. It's like the sirens in Greek mythology 
You know, people would love to hear the siren song, but it led them to destruction as they pursued it and were swallowed up. Well, the text tells us what we must do. Two things. The first is this. We need to recognize that we are strangers and exiles on earth. Look at verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. See, they... Those people that he's holding up as examples of great faith recognize that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. This world is not all there is. The pleasures that this world provides do not provide meaning to your existence. It's a distraction from the true meaning of our lives. So recognize that we're strangers and exiles on earth. John, uh, James chapter 4 says... Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. The world has been plunged into sin, and it's broken and moving in the wrong direction. Now, Christ has come not only to redeem his people, but one day he's going to redeem all of creation and take away the curse that's on it. Give us new heavens and new earth and glorified bodies and there will be no more sin and no more death. But until this, that time, this world and the culture of this world is not our friend. We're strangers and exiles. We're here for a time. And as the exiles were told by Jeremiah in their day, you know, to, to keep the peace of the city where you have been in exile, we are to be those agents of the Prince of Peace in our exile here on planet Earth, but not to buy into the lies that the culture offers us. We're strangers and exiles on Earth. Secondly, desire a better country, the one with foundations, prepared by the Lord himself. Look at verse 16. See, they, those people, those strangers and exiles, they desire a better country, a heavenly one. God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. See, they desire a better country. If you look back at Hebrews chapter 10, uh, the writer reminds them, reminds his audience that at one time they were willing to suffer persecution for their faith, willingly to, uh, to almost embrace suffering and persecution. Some people had been thrown in prison and uh, they had to decide do I obey God and go and visit my friends in prison? As Jesus commanded, should I go? Because that will identify me as one of the Christians. And the writer says that you gladly accepted the plundering of your property because you knew you had something better and something abiding. See, we need to remember that. There's some sacrifices we have to make as Christians in this world, but we do so remembering that we have something better and something abiding. And it is delayed gratification. We're not going to get these promises instantly. They're laid up for us for later. For eternity. Not just for the present. Not just for the moment. There's something better. And there's something that will abide forever. Promised for us. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 13 verse 14, here we have no lasting city but we seek the city that is to come. 
What is that city? Revelation 21 and 22 speaks of that great city, that vision of the city of God coming down from heaven after Christ has returned. It has 12 foundations, and adorned with precious jewels are all those foundations of that glorious city. And Jesus himself says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. That is our home. The command here is to wash our robes, to repent and turn from our sin and turn to Christ. James 4 that told us that friendship with the world is enmity with God goes on to say, humble yourselves before the Lord. Humble yourselves and draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Repent from your sins and He will draw near to you. Turn from sin and turn to God and He is he is coming, and he goes on to say in Revelation 22, you know, if you want to drink from the tree, if you want to drink the living waters, if you want to eat from the tree of life, come. It's free. It's free of charge. Christ has paid the penalty. You are welcomed into that city, but it's not here. It's laid up for us in the future. May the Lord grant us faith. May the Lord grant you faith to to live with that hope in mind, and not just for the moment of entertainment and instant gratification. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the reminder that this gives us. Grant us all faith, Lord, a deeper faith to trust you, to resist the devil, to resist sin, to resist temptations, to resist our own fleshly desires, to be entertained and to be gratified. Lord, that's very difficult. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to remember we're strangers and exiles here. We're not going to fit in with the culture perfectly. And help us to remember that there's something greater that we're looking forward to and, and hoping in that has been bought and secured with the precious blood of Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.